Welcome to the AJPH podcast. Uh, a note first about the music backing this podcast. This is how it works. Guitar player and band leader Francis Jacob sends me musical snippets that are inspired by the main editorial or the main article of the issue of the journal that we are discussing in the podcast. Sometimes he involves musicians such as Go For The Wonder Man or his sister, the actress and singer Irene Jacob. For this issue, Francis read the commentary written by Miguel Hernan, a professor of epidemiology at Harvard University, about the use of a causal language in epidemiology and in public health. Francis felt that it evoked a rather cerebral type of jazz. However, because Hernan was also talking about the benefits of red wine, it needed to have flamenco undertones, nylon guitar, cajon, and the harmonica of the great Gregoire Marais. More info about his composition is at the end of the podcast, as usual. So, in this May issue of AJPH, we tackle a sensitive question. When and how widely should we use a causal language to describe scientific findings of direct public health relevance? When can we say X is the cause of Y? This is a polarizing question for epidemiologists. Proving causation is provided for conditions that could never actually occur. Imagine the optimal situation. Causation would require the same person to live her identical life twice. The first time, she would be exposed to the potential cause, and the second time, not. Everything else must remain exactly the same to show that it was that one thing that made all the difference. Impossible, of course. Sometimes these optimal conditions can be approximated by a randomized control trial. Listen to Miguel Hernan. If the goal of the study is causal, if the goal of an observational study of analysis of non-randomized data is causal, uh, one, one way of, of doing that analysis is trying to, to mimic a randomized experiment as, as close as possible. And if, if um, when the goal is made explicit, when the causal goal is made explicit, then um, that implies that the use of, of the observational data is an attempt to emulate a randomized ex experiment that wasn't conducted. Still, even when the trial can be performed or at least emulated, we are reaching for something we can never seize. It is as if causes were the obscure objects of epidemiologist yearning, to the point that Hernan has coined the term C-word to emphasize that a cause is viewed as a term you can think of, but you will not say. Listen to what Hernan says. So why did you choose... You know, to call the causal language with, with the name that inspires so much uh, uh, shame or, you know, or something, uh, evoke something dirty. T tell me, why did you choose this word? It's because that is how it sounds to me. It sounds 
like a dirty word, something that people don't say. See? We talk about the F word because people don't say the F word. Uh, so I, I thought that referring to causal as the C word, it was, it was, was, was fitting because uh, people don't say this C word. Hernan tells us that using a causal language is not only a semantic question. His point is that it has implication for how researchers decide to study a topic, analyze and interpret finding. In this podcast, after having discussed his ideas with Miguel Hernan, I will reach out to professors Jennifer Ahern from UC Berkeley, Heidi Jones from City University of New York, and Donna March from Columbia University all senior experienced and influential teachers, and get their points, their opinion about Miguel's ideas. I am Alfredo Morabia, the editor-in-chief of AJPH, and this is April 1st, 2018. When I was learning epidemiology, they were teaching me uh, everything was about associations. It wasn't about causal effects. When I go to talks, I see that people present associations and they're very careful to clarify these are, these are just associations, not causal effects. I'm reaching out now to Miguel Hernan, who is professor at the Department of Epidemiology and Biostatistics at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health and at the Harvard MIT Division of Health Science and Technology in Boston. Hello, Miguel. Hello, Alfredo. You know, you, you always put me in trouble <laughs> because uh, when I told the team that the cover would be on the C word, you know, they all looked at me and they said, once again, it doesn't know what he's talking about. And uh, <laughs> indeed, I didn't know what was the C word. And, uh, but I insisted. But so give me an example of a, a summary sentence of, of, a, of a study which would use a causal language. Well, uh, you say a summary sentence, but we're going to start with the title. In, in many studies, the title uh, would say something like, I don't know, the association between aspirin and stroke. When clearly they are not the authors are not trying to estimate the uh, just the association between aspirin and stroke. They are interested in the potential causal effect of aspirin on stroke. So you could put that on the, in the title. You could say uh, uh, this. The title of this study is um, estimating the effect of aspirin on stroke. And then the summary sentence could say something like I don't know. Um, uh, based on our findings, uh, we don't find evidence for an effect of aspirin on stroke. But where's the C word? <laughs> See, here I, I didn't say it because um, something funny is that same causal effect is redundant because an effect is by definition causal. Uh, many times we say causal effect because uh, in one of these funny uses of language, many people have gotten used to use the word effect without a causal 
meaning. They use effect meaning association. So um, uh, when when we say effect in in our normal language, we don't need to add causal. But when we write papers, it's preferable to say causal effect, even though it's redundant, because then there is no confusion. So so tell me that sentence with the aspirin and stroke with the C word. How would it sound? <laughs> Based on our findings, we did not find evidence of a causal effect of aspirin on stroke. All right. And, and if it was positive, if, if they had... If it was found, positive? <laughs> like, 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 uh, like, yeah, because, I mean, not finding a causal effect is a little bit too easy, you know. But let's say you find something, you find something. Well, uh, our findings, uh, our findings are consistent with a causal effect of aspirin on stroke. All right. So that, that would be the causal language. It's not only a question of language. I mean, once you use the causal language, you need also to use the causal approach. That's right, exactly. I think that the point is that the methods to estimate an association and the methods to estimate the causal effect are different methods. If we say our goal is estimating an association because we're afraid to say the, the C word, then it's more likely that we will make a mistake because we will be using methods to estimate an association. And when we just want to estimate an association, we don't have to think about the hypothetical randomized trial that we are trying to emulate. We don't even have to think about confounders because there are no confounders for associations. Confounders are for causal effects. So, um, being explicit about the language has implications for the, for the methods that we use. Yeah, I think that's a very key element of your commentary. But still, uh, Miguel, many... People uh, among epidemiologists agree with you with the strategy and uh, and with the the statistical approach, etc. But and the modeling, but they still are uh, reluctant to use the word causation because they think that the public uh, may misunderstand it. So, uh, how, what's your take on this? I think that that's counterproductive because. Not using the word causal, uh, but acting as if what we are estimating is causal, which is what happens in practice. By uh, trying to be conservative, trying to be careful and cautious, not using the word causal, never saying, I am trying to estimate the causal effect and this is how I'm doing it, uh, we end up making mistakes. Mm -hmm. So what's, what's your practical recommendation? for a young researcher in order not to do those mistakes? Uh, it's what, what I say in the commentary. If, if your goal is causal inference, say it. Say it in the title. Say it in the introduction. In the methods, explain what is the causal effect that you are trying to estimate and how you are going to estimate. In the results section, don't say anything about causal inference because those are just your estimates. You don't have to interpret them. And then in the discussion, uh, that's the part where we discuss why we believe that our estimates can have a causal interpretation. But the, the, the key point is being explicit about 
what we want to do. Okay, explicit C word. I mean, I hope we won't have, you know, the small uh, 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 bell, you know, each time you say the C word because it's an explicit wording, you know, like like in records, you know. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> it's explicit exactly. language. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I got you. Thank you very much, Miguel. Thank you for your time and for this great commentary. I hope it's going to raise up discussion and and shake a little bit the field. There's a tendency for people who are just coming into epidemiology and biostatistics, who are, who are just entering the fray in public health, uh, there's this tendency to use the word prove when it comes to cause. And we have to give them the right framework and the right tools to understand that we don't necessarily prove causation, but we infer causation. My next conversation is with Dana March, assistant professor at the Department of Epidemiology at the Mailman School of Public Health. She signs a counterpoint with Professor Melissa Begg, also from Mailman. Good morning, Dana. Good morning, Alfredo. Thank you for being in this podcast. I have a question for you to start with. You know, some of the comments to uh, Miguel Hernan's paper say that the C word is a dirty word. And others say that it's a terrifying word. So what is your opinion about that? Oh, I think that the C word is is not such a dirty word, but but I like how provocative uh, Miguel Hernan's commentary actually is. Um, I do think that there is a trend in epidemiology that Hernan is responding to, and I really think that we're living in the era of small effects and. You know, if we say, if we observe a risk ratio of 1.12, is that actually causal? Uh, how do you deal with this issue uh, when you teach? Because in your, uh, in, in your uh, notes, I mean, your, your response to Hernan, you mentioned that your concern is about how teaching the difference between association and causation to uh, students. So how do you deal with this problem? Absolutely. I, I think that this is a really critical concern, and, and it's one of the reasons why I found Hernan's uh, commentary to be, to be so provocative, and helpfully so. Uh, one of the goals that we have in an introductory epidemiology and biostatistics course is really to provide students with a useful common language about the disciplines. And so words really matter when you're giving students a framework for thinking about how we pursue, um, you know, uh, investigations between exposures or of exposures and outcomes. And I wouldn't say that we shy away in our course from using the term cause, but rather what we really want to do is frame the, the pursuit of causation very well. And the way that we infer causation is through establishing associations. And we establish those associations 
through a systematic way of thinking and application of a robust set of epidemiological and biostatistical tools. So it's interesting because uh, in uh, Hernan's view, if you start with the causal question or you start with an association question, everything will change in your yes. in the design yes. of a study, in your analysis, etc. And uh, but uh, what you seem to say is that uh, I mean it's more a question of being more prone or less prone to use a causal language that is behind what he's saying. And it doesn't really change the, the approach that, let's say, most epidemiologists have with respect to uh, uh, approaching a data set or a hypothesis. What, what do you think? So I, I do think, I, I mean, I think that he is... He's presenting a view that's that's somewhat polarizing, right? That that's separating out uh, a a causal pursuit versus you know from a, a simply um, associative um, pursuit, and and I think that that's that's a point that's well taken. I, I think that that sometimes we can we can uh, you know lose the forest for, for the trees with respect to our causal questions but i think you know when we're talking about and and you know hernan is is clearly a a um a methods guru and and has done a lot of really extraordinary work to advance our thinking um about epidemiologic methods and and causal uh causal methods in particular and I think that some of the discussion around cause and the kinds of issues that, that Hernan is, is highlighting in his commentary have to do with, with more advanced questions, um, and more advanced kinds of, of methods. Um, so I think that, you know, he's responding to, um, almost, uh, a, a trend in epidemiology to, to apply increasingly more complex methods for questions that that are not clearly articulated as causal questions. Well, I, I like the term you use, I mean, because uh, the C word is an explicit word, if I understand what you say. It is. <laughs> it is. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Dana. Thank you so much for your time and have a great day. Um, that we agree with Miguel Hernan in terms of being really explicit about what the research question is. So if it's a causal question, that should be uh, specified because how you build a model will be different. Um, for example, uh, something like a confounder doesn't exist if you're doing risk stratification or prediction. But where we do worry about the danger is in an interpretation of the results. And here, um, the thought is just that the public and the media can sort of misconstrue findings and get excited about them and then change behaviors when the data isn't really there. Let's get now the opinion of Heidi Jones, who is an associate professor at the Department of Epidemiology and Biostatistics at the City University of New York School of Public Health. She signed a counterpoint with Professor Mary Schooling, also from CUNY School of Public Health. 
Heidi, uh, the, the paper, uh, that you signed with Mary Schooling, uh, about, uh, Miguel Hernan's commentary is the most, uh, challenging, I would say, to, uh, Miguel's, uh, ideas. And, uh, it, it's not so much that you consider that a causal language is, is dirty, but it's even worse. It, it, you seem to say that it's dangerous. So do you have so an I, example uh, of, a, of a situation like that in which uh, the causal language was used? I mean, uh, an association was uh, claimed as causal and uh, actually it had uh, terrible public health consequences. Well, so the example that we gave in the paper, although I think there are really uh, many examples, is when the first news broke about the French paradox, which was that you know drinking a glass of red wine a day seems to reduced risk of cardiovascular disease. Um, and, and what happened in the 1990s when this first got reported is that there was actually an increase in wine sales. And this was based on an observational study, so um, we're not sure about causation. Another possible explanation is that people who drink a glass of red wine a day, maybe they come from a higher socioeconomic position, um, they don't have issues with delaying gratification. And so those things are probably associated with both drinking a glass of red wine a day as well as with lower risk of cardiovascular disease. So it might be that there's no association at all, and yet the public perceives it as a good thing and wine sales go up. And this is what we're concerned so, about with over, over-interpreting results from a single observational study. Yeah, yeah. so what you're saying is that... Uh... If uh, you you ask the right question, you have the correct uh, causal uh, connections, and then all your confounders, etc., and you run a the right model, you still may come out with the conclusion that is is incorrect, and uh, and and saying that uh, you've quantified the a causal association would be uh, um, would be wrong, right? That's what you're saying. No, if you've, if you've actually designed the correct DAG and you've perfectly measured the correct confounders and you also have no selection bias in who's your sample, then you would get the right answer. But those are big ifs and they often don't happen. We do our best, but um, we're often not able to accurately measure socioeconomic position or to accurately understand all of the potential confounders that um, might be biasing our results. And again, we also have to worry about selection bias. We might not have um, the right people that are going to tell us the answer in the population that we want to uh, generalize about. So there's a lot of things that can go wrong. And again, we do the best that we can. But a single observational study is not something that we, generally speaking, want to base policy or uh, behavior changes on. Again, if it's Mm -hmm. a part of a bigger pie, which is why we argue um, for requiring people to explain their larger uh, theory for how something works. So so that's what you call the T word, and you're much more comfortable with the T than with the C. So why, what's that T word? So basically what we're, we're arguing is that, um, that we should be thinking about why we think an exposure causes an outcome. And, and the T word that we're talking about is the theory for causal mechanism. Again, it could be on the biological level, it could be on the social or structural level. But if we think an exposure causes an outcome, we want to try to understand why we think that. 
because that will allow us to better design our studies and include additional outcomes, but also to collaborate with people that understand things um, on different levels. So, for example, um, as an epidemiologist, I might want to work closely with an immunologist if I'm, or with uh, basic scientists that are better able to understand the biological mechanisms while I'm looking at the population level. Mm-hmm. So what we're so arguing then, is that we want the theory um, because we think it'll lead to uh, better science. I got it. But uh, do you think you do things very differently than the people who want to use a, a causal language? No, I don't think it's a huge difference. The difference is just um, that we believe that the language should stay associational in the interpretation um, because, again, a single observational study is not enough to really tell us whether something is causal or not. So it's really just about um, maintaining the use of um, less strong wording in the interpretation to make sure that people understand that this is just one piece of evidence and that we have to think of it in sort of the larger body of evidence before we act on it. Thank you very much, Heidi. I think that um, what's the strength that using a roadmap approach brings is that it's not about sort of, you know, do you view it as a glass, glass half full or glass half empty, but rather about separating the pieces of a process into distinct steps that really involve different issues. Let's talk now to Jennifer Ahern who is Associate Dean for Research and Associate Professor of Epidemiology and Chancellor's Professor of Public Health with the Division of Epidemiology at the School of Public Health at the University of California, Berkeley. So, Jennifer, uh, in in your um, response to uh, Miguel Hernan's uh, paper commentary, I like your choice of word. You know, you say you talk about unleashing the C word, you know, as if it were a, a powerful force or a genius. <laughs> Is it? Um, well, I think in most of what we do in public health, it's what we're going after. Um, if we were being honest about what we are trying to do in most of our work, perhaps not all of it. Um, but I think it has such power because, um, you know, it's the, the the bar is high to achieve it, and so we're we're reticent to to sort of assert that we've achieved it. Um, and I think that's appropriate. But at the same time, if that is in fact our goal for a given investigation, we should be able to say that. And so I I do agree with uh, Miguel on that point very much. But is there? An example that comes to mind uh, of a case in which the C word was used. I mean, uh, the uh, link was, uh, you know, considered as causal and actually it wasn't and it had terrible public health consequences. Um, well, I guess I don't have a particular example in mind. Um, I mean, certainly there are examples where um, 
you know, the body of work, for example, around hormone replacement therapy had, um, you know, there had been enough observational work accumulated that, you know, we were recommending uh, hormone therapy as a positive for health for women. Um, and then most people are probably aware of the sort of dramatic unveiling of the women's health initiative trial results that were, you know, not inconsistent with, and in fact, in the opposite direction for, um, for health. And, you know, Miguel's done actually some really interesting work trying to reconcile those seemingly discrepant findings. Um, you know, I, c I couldn't say for sure if those observational studies were asserting the C word, um, but certainly, the, you know, the, it had reached a point where there was sort of a, a strong yeah. prior about that this was a, a benefit that was in, in the end sort of contradicted yeah. by the trial, right? Yeah, if we judge by the clinical practice and, and the prevalence of uh, hormonal therapy in uh, menopausal women, it clearly was considered as a causal uh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's a, that's a very good. So, if I understand you well, Jennifer, you want to unleash the C word, but you also want to corral it. So, explain to me how you want to corral the C word into a roadmap. The first step is what do you want to achieve? And if a lot of people were straightforward about that, they would say, "Well, I, you know, I do want to get the causal effect of this exposure." Um, but the next step is then a very specific consideration of whether you can achieve that or the ways in which the work achieves it or not. You then move into a very, uh, a piece that's simply statistical estimation that has absolutely nothing to do with anything causal. And then you wrap everything up by saying, okay, I have a statistical estimate here and I'm going to look back at my assessment of the strengths and limitations. And I'm going to, you know, say either, you know, I think I've met all of these assumptions. And so I really think this is the causal effect. Or you might say, I've met some, but I haven't met others. And so I'm either going to say this is the best I can do at getting at that causal effect, given these strengths and limitations. Or you're going to say, you know, this is the association. And, you know, this, these are the ways in which future work could be improved because I've identified those assumptions that were not met. Um, and so what I like about it is it keeps you away from just sort of, well, my, I sort of feel, <laughs> I sort of feel really strong about this one or, you know, oh, I feel a little reticent about this. It really breaks it out into the ways in which it's strong and the ways in which it's weak. Got it. And, and this is, do you see these types of approaches in the epi literature or in the public health literature? Certainly in the epi literature, um, I have not, um, I have not yet seen it in broader public health literature. Um, but it would be, um, I think it would really make all of our work, um, mm -hmm. I don't know if it's stronger per se, it would, it would give us a clearer view of the strengths and limitations of our work and also the, the ways in which we should be improving our work in the future in sort of specific ways to get hopefully closer and closer to the effects that we want to estimate. Got you. Jennifer, thank you very much for your time and for those uh, very clear explanations. 
As you heard, none of the epidemiologists I've asked to comment on Hernan's view is ready to fully join him in his unembarrassed embrace of the C-word. There is no consensus, and therefore I have to chime in and give you my take of this discussion as editor-in-chief of the journal. First of all, I have nothing against submissions that state that their objective is to quantify a causal effect. We will evaluate the submission for its merit without a priori judgment. Whether we want all submission to adopt when relevant a causal approach, this is a type of question I take to the team of editors. I doubt the answer will be affirmative, but uh, for now we won't do it. Second, I was struck by the use of the word explicit uh, to characterize the C word by my interviewee. Listen to what they said. So by being explicit about the language... I do think that we could be more explicit. That we agree with Miguel Hernan in terms of being really explicit about what the research question is. So I'm wondering, should we flag the publications that are using the C word? You know, we use icons in the table of contents to indicate if a paper is in open access or has supplemental material or is discussed in the podcast. Maybe I should add an icon for explicit contents for articles using the C word. That's it. Thank you for listening. I am grateful to all my interviewees for their time. About the music, with flamenco on the tones, nylon guitar and cajon, Gregoire Marais is blowing his harmonica on a composition by Francis Jacob called Children. The song was recorded in New York City in 2005, and all members of the band are still alive and well today. Francis insists that he believes wine drinking is a cause, but it didn't convince me. This is Alfredo Morabia at AJPH. For more podcasts, including podcasts in Chinese and Spanish, visit us at ajph.org or subscribe on the podcast app of your phone or tablet.